Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I hope you had a great morning this morning with your family. I certainly did. Uh, It's always fun to get up, to open presents, just to hang with everybody and to celebrate Christmas. This morning was not a disappointment. I was thinking over the years of just the time with my family and one of my favorite Christmases, there were, I'm the youngest of three sons, raising now four daughters, so I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, The Lord just given me a bunch of boys, I was like, we're fine, you know? Uh, But there was this one Christmas, we were, all three of the boys, we were in college. So, I mean, to this day, I'm just like, God bless my parents for that one, right? Uh, And we came home, there wasn't one present under the tree, not one. Three of us were in college. It was still one of the best Christmases we had ever had, just as a family. It's a special time, isn't it? I'm reminded of something from Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Uh, Have you ever had a time? You think about when you were a kid and you would see the presents under the tree, and for weeks there is just this season of longing because you're looking at it and going, what is in there? You know what I'm talking about? A season of longing. A longing or desire fulfilled, it says, makes you happy. Throughout the Old Testament, there was this promise that the Messiah would one day come. You would see some of the most faithful, even represented in the New Testament, you see Zechariah, who was considered to be a man that was faithful. It says that he followed the law blamelessly, and every day he would wake up with the expectation that today might be the day that the Messiah would come. That's what this is talking about, a hope that is deferred, but a longing that is fulfilled. The real question this morning is, what do you want? What do you want? Um, because a lot of what it is that we pursue are the very things that don't satisfy us. It's not just stuff that we want. Sometimes we want status. Sometimes we want power. Sometimes we want fame. Sometimes we want money. Sometimes we want comfort. And sometimes we want pleasure. And I just want to say this up front. There is nothing wrong with that. Not necessarily. But they also don't satisfy what is the deepest longing that we actually have in our heart. You can get these things in abundance and still not be satisfied. You can get and get more and still want more and all the while feel empty with what you're pursuing. So what if what we're wanting, and this is the question, you identify your wants and then you go, the problem is I'm wanting the wrong things. In Psalm, 30, in, in Psalm 37, 4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's start with the first part, delighting in the Lord. Here's the way that some other translations render it. Take pleasure in the Lord. Take pleasure in or enjoy the Lord or be happy with the Lord or seek your happiness in the Lord. You see a little bit of a theme here on the way that this is, this is translated? You might could think about it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, Solomon, when he was writing in Proverbs, in Proverbs 5, he says, take delight in the wife of your youth. Take delight in her. We can kind of understand that, right? Because we know what it is to have that relationship and to continue to pursue it. I mean, Wendy and I have been married for 21 years now, and there's still 20. We pursue each other still. We take delight in each other still. In Psalm 37:4, it says, Take delight or find your happiness in the Lord. 
What would that look like? You find satisfaction in. So just like in my marriage and my relationship with Wendy, I have a satisfaction with her that no other woman is supposed to fulfill for me. It's the same in my relationship with God. I delight, I find my satisfaction in him and there's nothing else that's a substitute for him. I delight in him. I'm reminded of this from Blaise Pascal. He was a French mathematician. He was a philosopher, uh, really a brilliant guy. It was, it was described of him, his father, said that there was one day he had gone to, to work and his, his mom had passed away. And he came back and he found Blaze literally scribbling in the dirt in the backyard. And he had not taught him mathematics yet. And he comes out in the yard and he's like, what are you doing over here? And his son at around the age of 10 or 11 years old was figuring out the principles of Euclidean geometry by himself. He was smart. He wrote a work called the Ponsais and in it, he said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both attending with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even to those who hang themselves, is that there is a perceived satisfaction that you're going after. So Pascal is basically saying this, every one of us seeks happiness and there's nothing wrong with it. It's not necessarily a sin to pursue happiness. It's kind of how we're cut. It's the way that we're built. It's why Jesus could say, love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to love yourself. And we do. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers and thinkers, he wrote a work called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he said this, he said, indeed, if we consider the, unbl uh, the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And here's what he said. We are far too easily pleased. God is offering us infinite joy and we'll settle for the trinkets. It's a crazy thought, but you know what? It's us. It's basically C.S. Lewis's way of saying this. We're seeking our satisfaction in the wrong place. Notice what Psalm 37.4 said. God will give you the desires of your heart if you delight in him. Here's what I think this means. You delight in the Lord, he gives you the desires of the heart. I don't think it means that God gives us everything that we want. And I'm thankful for that. Some desires are good. Some of our desires are not good. A loving father won't give his child something that's gonna be bad for them. We're reminded of this in Luke chapter 11, verse 12. It says, what father among you, if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion instead? Now that sounds like a strange thing to say, wouldn't you agree? But if you go to the ancient Near East, there were scorpions that were really large and they resembled an egg when they curled up to sleep. Here's basically what Jesus was saying, is that the deception could cause harm and even death. He's like, what kind of loving father would offer their kid a gift like that? There's an interesting observation about Tim Keller. He said this, he said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. 
Sometimes we just got to pump the brakes a little bit and say, I might not know as much as God, right? Just in a moment of humility and receive that and say, what are the kinds of things that I would be asking for if I knew all the things that God knows about what I'm asking for? And sometimes you just got to go, thank you for the no, because what I was asking for wasn't good. Years ago, uh, I had to read a story called The Monkey's Paw. How many of you have read The Monkey's Paw? Can I see your hands? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot of it. So basically, here's what's happening in the story. Uh, You have a monkey's paw, right? Hence the name of the story, The Monkey's Paw. And it will grant you three wishes. Now, there was this guy that had the monkey's paw, and what he found out was, you know, you ask for something, and you might not be getting what you asked for. So he took the monkey's paw, and he threw it into the fire. But there was another man that was standing by, and he's like, wait, there's this monkey's paw that will grant me three wishes? And he reaches into the fire, and he pulls it out. And he looks, and of course, it's this hand, right? And the fingers are up. You've got three wishes, things that you can ask for. Let me just give you a picture of a part of the story. Because as he's holding the monkey's paw, he says, you know what? I would wish for 200 pounds, because it's British. (laughs) You know, dollars, if you're American. I would wish for $200, because that would help me to pay for the mortgage. And one of the fingers goes down, right? Well, a little bit later in the day, his son goes out to work. And unfortunately, his son is killed. And the word comes back to the family later that day that their son had died in a machine accident at work. However, the company, because they didn't want them to basically sue them, was giving them 200 pounds. The monkey's paw. And the reason that I give you that story is to help make an important point of what Tim Keller was talking about. We need to be careful for the things that we desire. We need to be careful of the things that we ask for. What does it mean when Psalm 37, four says he'll give us the desires of our heart? Well, there are a couple of things. The first is it can mean that when we delight in in God, he gives us the right kinds of desires. He gives us the actual desires themselves. So the more that we love him, the more our desires change to become the things that he desires for us. The more we love him, the more we love the things that he loves. We even see something like this in Philippians 2.13. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So the more that we grow closer to him, the more we love and desire the kinds of things that he loves and desires. Our, Our desires change as we desire him more. The proof is in this, is because our first and truest desire is Jesus himself. It's what it is. Not all of the substitutes, but just having him. The Westminster Catechism begins like this. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I was thinking about it. My dog, Duke, who is uh, the dark Lord, as some of you have gotten to know him. Uh, he's, He's nine years old now. He's a little more rickety. He's having a little bit of harder time moving, partly because he's overweight partly because of arthritis, Uh, but he's a lab. And when I had him as a puppy, uh, I mean, I would throw, I trained him for everything. I trained him and we would stand in North Carolina. I would stand in the front yard and I had this sling and I could rifle a tennis ball. And I mean, it would just launch that thing. 
And he would, I mean, he was gone. And I would stand in the same spot. And without a word, I mean, without one word, he would get the ball and he would turn and look. And all I had to do was raise my hand up and he would come right back to me. And I'd put my hand down and he'd drop the ball in my hand. You know why he did that? It's because he's a retriever. (laughs) That's why he's a Labrador. Well, he was trained, right? But he's a retriever. That is what, when you think about what labs are, that fulfills what they're made to do. And I think when you read Psalm 37, four this way, when you delight in God, it fulfills what you were made to do. You get it? We're just like Duke in that way. So the question this morning is how can I find God so that I can know him and then be satisfied in him? I'm glad you asked because you were made for God. In Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God's not playing games with you. He's not toying with you. God's not hiding from you. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So the heart, by the way, in the ancient Near East, literally every part of who you are You're willing to hand it over. You're willing to give it up. It's yours. I just want to know you. And God says, then you will. You will. How can we know God? I think there are several ways. One, even if you're not a believer this morning, read the word, open the Bible, read it. It's the truth. Never underestimate the power of a word. And if you go back into Genesis, Genesis says that God created by the power of his word, There's power in it, and there's power in the Bible. Get in it, read it. Find someone that understands it. Begin the conversation. If you seek with all of your heart, you will what? You will find it. It may be a journey, but God is at the end of it. You will find it. I think about it. Sometimes these relationships, sometimes relationships take a little bit of time. You know, Wendy and I weren't married on our first date. Actually, it wasn't that far off, but it wasn't our first date. And we had to cultivate that relationship a little bit, right? So think about it like this. If, if I have an appointment with you and I just wanna get it done as quickly as possible and move on to the next thing, do you think you'll feel that when we're together? Because we usually do, right? If I'm not gonna, and, and, and by the way, I'm not gonna get much out of it either. And, and neither will you. However, however, if I, if I come to the meeting expecting that I'm gonna get to know you better, and that you're gonna get to know me better. I'm gonna learn some things about you. You're gonna learn some things about me. And then I'll enjoy being with you. You know what? That makes for a good meeting. Did you know it's exactly the same way with the way that you come to God? Slow down a little bit. Spend some time. Here we are celebrating Christmas, right? What a great day. Christmas is a story of God's grace It's the story of his love. It's the story of his kindness. It's a picture of his forgiveness. We didn't deserve a day like today, did we? But we have a day like today. And so maybe you came here this morning and you're just a little bit skeptical of the Christian message. You came here not believing. I just wanna say this, I'm glad that you're here. But I also wanna tell you something that we believe. It's the core of who we are, is that God's grace, which means it's his unmerited favor, the forgiveness that he offered, I want want you to picture it like this. I want you to imagine that you're half a million dollars in debt. And then someone comes to you and writes out a check for $500,000. And they say this to you. 
This is all for you to cancel your debt. You don't have to do anything but reach out and take it, and it's yours. So you take the money and you pay your debt. Now you're debt free and you're totally in the clear. Now here's the question. What do you have to brag about in that moment? And as far as I can tell, the answer is nothing at all. You, you can't brag and say, well, I had the power, the skill, and even the brains to reach out and to take that check. You can't. What you would do, and rightly so, is you can talk about the favor that you received from someone that wanted to give you a gift like that. That's what you could really talk about. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas morning, is that kind of gift, is that God gave us himself. You received grace, nothing more and nothing less. Spiritually, we were impoverished. We received riches from another person. And the fact that you're now debt-free is 100% due to someone other than you. My friends, that's the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Christmas this morning. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.